Welcome to the EchoCast, the podcast about video game news, speculation, rumors, and reviews. I am your host, Morgan, aka Bond Diesel, and this week we'll be covering Bioware confirming big changes, more FTC versus Xbox craziness, gamers are mad about Starfield, and much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or just to say hello. A special thank you to all of my patrons, including producer-level patrons Hassan and Horseman, supporter-level patrons PK, The Don, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix, as well as viewer-level patron Zinra. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 per month, please check out patreon.com slash bonddiesel. Gaming news. This week, we have eight topics. Topic number one, Bioware officially announces SWOTOR going to Broadsword. So in a bit of a delayed blog from Bioware, we got the official announcement about SWOTOR and we got a little bit of information about Dragon Age and Mass Effect. Now, what was notable about uh, this blog was that it was the first blog they had put out since uh, February, I believe, where before they had had a cadence for, I think, a year or more of putting out something every two months whether it was in seven day or a blog or something else. And so this was kind of unique because, uh, you know, it, it hadn't been, it, it had, you know, been a while since, uh, you know, we had heard from them, uh, and it had been a long time since we had uh, not heard from them for so long. Uh, but we heard from them and what we heard was confirmation of what you know the stories had already been going around is that uh, a studio a third-party studio called broadsword would be getting um you know, the sotor star wars the old republic mmo um and this was in theory to focus more on dragon age and mass effect as bioware's two core kind of games and, uh, you know, to put all of their efforts into that. Now, I have seen a lot of conversation about SWOTOR going on where people were basically saying that, like, the game for the most part has been fairly stale and not with, you know, with tons of new content in quite a while. Um, but there there has been new content released recently, but it's a, a bit underwhelming from what I can gather. That's third. That, that's secondhand information. That's what I've been reading. I haven't played SWOTOR in my entire life. Uh, I'm not an MMO type of person. Um, but it sounds like um, it's really interesting when you see the fans of SWOTOR kind of talking about it because you can you see two different takes on what's happening. You see it as this is a chance to sunset it and Bioware doesn't really get their hands dirty and it's a chance to kind of let that game finally go away. And or you see the people being like, hey, maybe this new home, this new developer, uh, you know, this new studio uh, that's going to keep a bunch of their current devs 
uh, you know, maybe it's a chance for them to get back on it and make some more significant content and stuff like that. Now, the thing I, I am under the impression of uh, about SOTOR is that it does have such a deep story and it did have so much content come out for it over the years that while they may not be doing a bunch of new stuff now, there's just like a almost endless amount of things to do anyways. So even if they don't have this big resurgence and have a ton of new content come out, that it's still a, a game that's in, in pretty good shape and doesn't necessarily need, um, you know, anyone to do that. So, um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of indifferent. I, I, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing in the long run. And I, um, kind of hope that, uh, for the fans, it's a good thing. Now, uh, we did get a little bit of Dragon Age and Mass Effect news. The Dragon Age news essentially boiled down to we're wrapping this game up. We, we're putting all of our resources into it. Uh, we're going to have news soon. I don't really know what that means. Um, there aren't really any opportunities in, uh, for the rest of the year other than like the Game Awards. Maybe Gamescom? I don't know. Um, there is like a Dragon Age day, but I don't even think it's like officially recognized by Bioware. So I don't expect that. So maybe Gamescom that, that happens here in a couple months. That could be an interesting place for them to drop more info. Um, even if the game is coming like next spring or summer, they may just not announce anything. And maybe they'll do like an EA play in January or, or February. Or maybe they'll do like an EA play in the first quarter of next year. I, I like an independent one. I have no idea. Um, so uh, that's kind of interesting, but you know, when we got the news about them moving Mass Effect devs to that uh, that that project, when we got news that uh, Mark Dara was returning as a consultant, um, you know, we you know, it sounds like that game is in its like final push. Um, it, it is interesting, you know. I, there's been a lot of talk about that, and their staffing seems to be fine. They haven't had a job listing on their careers website in months. Like I believe the last few job listings that Bioware even had were for Mass Effect things. Um, it may have been as far back as maybe before in seven day when they still had like their, I think it was development director, which we then found out was filled. There were a few random positions still open after that, maybe at the even the beginning of this year, but no director level jobs and even frontline stuff. I believe it was like IT stuff. And so what I'm getting at is it seems like the Dragon Age team probably has a full team. Uh, and, you know, knowing that they got people from Mass Effect and uh, assuming that some of the people who are staying behind uh, from this whole deal with SWOTOR, it's probably going to be just even a few more people to help out. So it seems like staffing isn't their issue. It's probably just getting it done. It's just putting their foot on the pedal without causing themselves the issues that they've had with previous games and previous development cycles and stuff where things got out of hand and there was too much crunch and there was a lot of this kind of toxic behavior and and you know these the games showed those issues and and things like that i just um i i hope it's going well now when it comes to mass effect you know where this leaves that game it's kind of hard to tell in some ways we 
probably have to start getting realistic with how far away that game is. Um, I know I was making predictions and this was even off the guess of like some developers I know who like, you know, are in AAA game development. And when they were hiring those director level jobs and, and when they were saying the things they were saying, I was kind of feeding that information to some devs I know and being like, hey, if this was your project, how far off would you say this is? And at that time, they were being like, yeah, that game could probably come out in 2025, like if they're doing that right now. And that just seems less and less likely, um, even even if they started production this year, which we are not assuming at this point, you know, that would make 2025 seem ambitious. And so if they aren't even going to start full development until next year, that really starts to make 2026 look like the ambitious target. And then it starts to make 2027 look like the more likely number, the more the, the more likely year. Um, and that's fine. We want this this game to be good and we want it to be complete and we don't want it rushed. Um, but, you know, there's also this thing of like, man, that will end up being like seven or eight years after they announced it. And, you know, while that was an issue at that time where that was, you know, the 2020, 2019, 2018 was this the kind of the last gasp, it seems like, of announcing games that are like indefinitely far away. Um, it, it still makes that tough and it makes it a bummer. Um, you know, there's these ideas of, you know, maybe the next Mass Effect is a lower scale game. Maybe it's not this big galactic wide threat where we have to go and, 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 and maybe it will be a smaller game. And in theory, that could, you know, maybe get developed in a year and a half or, or two years. And, and, you know, maybe it does make some of these you know time frames realistic that aren't that far away. Um, maybe Unreal Engine 5 is like this miracle engine, which we'll talk about later. And, you know, maybe they can get it done extremely quickly. You know, who knows? But it, uh, it seems unlikely and it almost seems un unattractive for, you know, this Mass Effect game. Like if we found out it is coming out in 2025 and we're not under the impression it's even going into development until like the end of 2024, um, I, I would say in some ways that's, that, that's scary. Like, I think that would worry me and other people. So we'll wait and see. Um, hopefully this whole idea that SWOTOR leaving is really a dedication to focusing on Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Uh, we know that uh, EA recently split their teams up into EA Sports and EA Entertainment in theory. And supposedly this is uh, a similar idea that, you know, they, they, they really are focused on, you know, allowing the sports games to be what they are and allowing the entertainment side to get back to these single player, either co-op or, you know, not games like we've seen with like Jedi survivor and like we're hopefully going to see with um, Dragon Age Dreadwolf and so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm hoping for the best. And, and I think that, you know, it's okay to be, uh, to be hopeful, uh, if not a bit careful. Story number two is more FTC Xbox updates. So where we stand with this is that on Thursday, I believe they wrapped up uh, the, the, the case. And so what this is, if you aren't familiar and I didn't actually ever explain it, this was the FTC filed an injunction. And so 
they weren't supposed to have a formal hearing until I think July or August. But what it sounds like is that Xbox and Activision were planning on just finishing up the deal, figuring out the stuff with the CMA in the United Kingdom, dealing with whatever the FTC has to say, and moving on and just making this deal done. And so uh, between Xbox and Activision Blizzard King. And so supposedly the FTC filed this injunction preemptively to keep them from doing that because supposedly their Xbox was maybe going to do it a couple weeks ago and FTC, you know, put, put a, you know, their foot in front of that. And so what this whole thing was all about was whether or not the judge would grant that injunction. And so the, the stakes essentially are that if the judge grants the injun injunction, they will prevent the, the, the deal from being put through a, like an emergency, like, like quickly. And it will almost certainly potentially end the deal entirely. You know, everyone seems fairly certain that Activision can work, you know, Activision, Xbox, whatever can work their way around the CMA by having like a, a, a third party publisher just in that one country. But if the United States blocks it too, then it becomes tough. The way the trial went down from seeing some, you know, uh, lawyers kind of talk about it and people in the know in gaming talk about it, uh, even though the CMA seemed like they were going to approve the deal and they didn't, this one really seems likely that the judge is going to side with Xbox because the FTC's case is just a mess. Uh, they're, 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 the things they're bringing up, the things that they're supposedly, you know, uh, uh, not okay with about the deal almost seems silly to in some circles. And... Uh, they seem like they kind of don't know what's how this all works, how the whole gaming industry actually works, and some of the questions and some of the things that they said just kind of made no sense. And it's assumed that if the injunction doesn't get granted by the judge, that Activision and Xbox will complete the deal. And then even when they go and do the final case in August or whenever, it's going to be the FTC now having to deal with a company that is acquired and and having to undo that onion rather than taking care of it before. So even if they decide to break it up, it could be more complicated. Um, now, there were some interesting things. There are actually a ton of interesting things that came up during this trial, especially in the last week. Um, one of the things was an email from Matt Booty saying that they were going to spin Sony out of business. Well, you know, if you actually read the whole email, you would be able to tell he wasn't being literal, that he was talking about how Google and Apple and, uh, you know, all these companies were a threat. Disney were a threat in the long term, uh, whether it was via streaming or, or as publishers or whatever. And uh, and that Sony could be a threat, too. But you have to realize that when you are talking about Microsoft and Google and Disney uh, and and uh, Amazon, uh, and then you bring up Sony. In the Xbox versus PlayStation world, uh, PlayStation is extremely competitive, obviously, uh, and dominant in a lot of ways. Them and Nintendo, especially. But in the giant corpo sense of, you know, if you stack Sony up with any of those other companies, Sony's like a mom and pop shop. When you compare them to Google, to Microsoft, to Apple, uh, who Apple just got valued at, at $3 trillion. 
you know, and I think Microsoft is valued at like 1.2 trillion. And, you know, these companies are, are worth trillions. And I believe Sony's worth like 300 billion or something. It's, it's just a, they're, they're, they're on a different scale. And so that, that quote was really interesting because you obviously saw all the journalists, pundits and console warriors running with it being like, see, they, they plan on just buying, you know, beating Sony. Well, this, that email was from like three years ago and obviously it hasn't worked. Even this Activision deal isn't going to do that. Um, and it, I would be amazed if, if Xbox can get away with acquiring any other big publisher. If, if we ever had any dreams of them acquiring EA or acquiring Ubisoft, you know, that's not happening anymore. Uh, for sure. There's little doubt there. The only honestly big acquisitions I could see, I think they could pull in some smaller studios like, like the moon studio who does Ori and stuff like that. But, uh, the only chance I see them to really gobble up any bigger studios is going to be if, um, the, uh, the embracer group falls apart. Like it kind of seems like they might, and you could see them maybe come in and try to snag up some studios, uh, that had that also have IP. Um, but yeah, the spending Sony out business thing was kind of a funny story this week because of the way it was covered, uh, in my opinion, in a very dishonest, sensational and clickbaity way by a lot of journalists. Um, you can tell a lot of the focus here is on mobile. It's really interesting because um, the FTC really tried to talk a lot about Call of Duty and it kind of seems like neither, all of the parties are like over that. Like Sony knows they're at least gonna have it for like a decade uh, longer. Xbox is just kind of like, yeah, it's a big brand, but like, you know, it seems like everyone's really focused on mobile. Uh, on the platform side the ftc doesn't seem to care at all almost it's super weird but you can tell that that all of these you know activision playstation xbox and, and everyone we heard about uh you know we saw multiple references to that king is the real prize here that sure activision is great blizzard is great they make they have these big ips they make a lot of money but they aren't nothing compared to King, who's a mobile, who's their like mobile branch in the ABK uh, conglomerate. And it's it's really interesting because uh, that is has it's gotten so little attention. You'll even see people reference this deal as the Xbox uh, Activision Blizzard thing. They don't even mention King, uh, but in the long run, it's probably the big prize. And, and I found that really interesting. Um, one big thing that did come out this week was a list of um, studios and publishers that Xbox had at least considered or was putting together offer sheets for to try to get. Uh, one of the most interesting things uh, was Bungie. They were trying to reacquire them. And if you don't know Bungie's situation, they were um, independent and then they got they went with Xbox. And that's how Halo became an Xbox franchise. Um, and then they left and that was when they did Destiny, and that's when Halo kind of has gone a tough direction uh, at Xbox. Um, and then um, Bungie got acquired uh, by Activision Blizzard King, uh, and that didn't go well. That was one of the dark ages for Destiny, especially. And then they, you know, moved, and then they went independent again, and then and now they're owned by Sony. Um, which is kind of a funny wraparound. But before Sony acquired them, it looks like Xbox was poking around again. And what's interesting about it is a few years ago when Jeff Grubb reported on that, 
the head of Bungie was like, no, that's not true. And now we know it was true. And that person definitely looks uh, interesting. And I saw people defending them like, well, he, he may not have known uh, Xbox didn't even offer. Uh, it's like, no, nah, he knew <laughs> like he was just probably hoping that a case like this one would never happen. And all of these private emails and stuff would never come out. Um, we've really gotten to see behind the veil. It's been really interesting. Uh, and then the kind of last bit I thought was interesting is that now there's all these uh, emails coming out and, and even on the stand, you know, Jim Ryan and uh, Phil Spencer and stuff. It, it came out that there's been all this drama about games that are cross, you know, platform um, like Minecraft and like MLB the show that there's there may be and there already has been issues with like Sony doesn't. Sony's afraid that they won't be able to trust Xbox or Activision after the acquisition. Uh, if, if Call of Duty does remain a PlayStation title, which it will, you know, that they can't lend out dev kits to Activision because they may give up trade secrets to their owner Xbox. And I mean, sure, like I kind of get that concern to a point, but device, you know, the other way has happened where, you know, they were willing to work with Minecraft and with, with updates on that and, and, and things. And so it's been, um, it's just been an interesting saga seeing behind the curtain, reading these emails that, you know, when they were written by Phil Spencer or Jim Ryan or all of these people, you know, they never assumed anyone would be reading these outside of the targets. Right. Uh, one of my favorite ones was that, uh, when this uh, deal initially got announced that Xbox was trying to acquire ABK. Um, Jim Ryan sent an email to someone else in the PlayStation. Jim Ryan's like the head of PlayStation. And he said, uh, I'm not worried about this. Uh, we'll be fine. We'll be more than fine. Like they're not going to take away Call of Duty from us. Like we know that this is them just trying to get some more IP, like fine. Like, you know, you know, whatever. Like they seemed completely unworried about it until the deal actually started to happen. And I think they probably saw blood in the water with um, how the CBA and some of the other regulatory agencies were kind of putting up some pushback. And it seems like Jim Ryan and PlayStation were like, oh, we got to jump on that. Like we got to jump on that and, you know, push that more because maybe we can't block this deal. It seems unlikely now. I think this injunction will not go through. I think that the acquisition will complete. I think there's going to be some drama. I think they're going to have to do some weird stuff in the United Kingdom to get around the CMA. Um, they're probably maybe going to have to give up some concessions here in the United States to try to figure stuff out uh, on, on this, you know, this hearing that's probably going to happen in August or whenever. Um, but I think the deal is all but done and um, we'll go on from there. Next story, Perfect Dark updates. And so Perfect Dark is an old Xbox franchise that in 2000, I think it was 18, they announced that it was coming back and there was this purely cinematic trailer and they you know showed all the goods and we saw that it, it was kind of bringing back some of the um, you know, some of the, the kind of corpo kind of, uh, you know, evil corpo stuff going on. And what we have found since then is that things have been a little rough over there. The, the developer of that was supposed to be the initiative, which at one point someone kind of jokingly said was a quadruple a studio. We've since found out that they aren't really even that they, that the initiative is much more of like a really small studio of like high level people who are going to be using support studios to build the game. And so what we found out from this big um, report, I think it was on IGN, 
um, was that uh, they were originally going to work with certain affinity. Um, if you're aware of them, they're the ones who are supposedly currently working on a Halo Battle Royale in Unreal Engine 5, which is supposed to maybe come out soon. Who knows? Um, and, and they've done a bunch of other, they're mostly like a support studio. And so initially, uh, uh, the initiative was working with Crystal Dynamic or Crystal Certain Affinity, and it didn't work well. Uh, they were in this uh, in this big piece. They interviewed people from Certain Affinity and from the initiative, people who are former and current, and it basically sounded like they just didn't get along. It, it basically sounds like uh, it, there was just uh, it was during the beginning of COVID, um, and they just couldn't get on the same page. And they just, uh, they were playing phone tag and, you know, people were presenting ideas and, and there wasn't really good organization. Uh, and then people would present ideas and they'd be like, oh, that's great. And then the person who presented the idea would leave the studio, either from the initiative or from certain affinity. Um, so then that relationship fell apart. They ended that collaboration and then the initiative started to work with Crystal Dynamics. Uh, and that's because the head of the initiative used to be the head of Crystal Dynamics. And it seems like in the story that it, it basically is portrayed that this this relationship seems to be working a lot better. Um, but one of the interesting things is that it says in 2022, everything they had worked on for the previous three or four years got scrapped and they restarted the project and they're doing an Unreal Engine 5. So I don't know if they were using like a proprietary engine before, if they were using Unreal Engine 4, which is what I assume. Uh, but they scrapped it and they're using Unreal Engine 5 now. Uh, you know, there, there was also talk in this about, you know, there were some accusations that, you know, this game was the result of another hands-off situation by Xbox. Uh, but then some of the Xbox reps kind of said, like, we are in such constant contact with the initiative that if this is hands-off, we don't know what more we can do to not be getting that because I really think Redfall and the way that they basically admitted that they never really supported the project and that they, they kind of just let them do what they wanted and put it out. Um, not realizing that when it came out, it was going to be a big deal because it was the first Xbox game in a long time. Uh, I, I suspect Redfall was meant to be released right after like Starfield or something, which it, it should have been if Starfield released when it was originally going to. And then instead it became the first game in a long time and it wasn't very good. And, um, you know, it seems like Xbox is definitely sensitive to that criticism about them being too hands off. And, uh, in the response about, uh, perfect dark, you definitely saw that, but, uh, the story wrapped up with basically saying that uh, perfect dark actually seems like it's on, it's in a good spot. The people who are, who are currently working on it are, are like excited about it. It seems like they are on track and they do know what kind of game they're making. Uh, but that it's probably three, four five years away. It's, it's not coming anytime soon. And so it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if we'll even hear about that in 2024. Or, you know, maybe not until 2025 do we even see it at like an Xbox showcase again. So uh, interesting story. I don't have any real connection to Perfect Dark, uh, but I still thought it was an interesting story to uh, to read through. Uh, the next story here is about Starfield and AMD. So a bunch of angry gamers uh, crept out of the woodwork this week when uh, AMD announced that they were uh, a partner with uh, Xbox and Bethesda, and they were the exclusive partner for Starfield, which um, 
due to some other issues that have been happening recently, a lot of people are concerned that that may mean that there won't be DLSS, which is a NVIDIA technology, and that it, it may turn into a situation where um, we, we may uh, either not have DLSS at launch or we, we may just never get it at all. Um, and that's a bummer because uh, DLSS is essentially a tech that will take, um, if your computer can only run a game at 30 frames per second, it can use some tech to make it look like 60 FPS, even though it isn't. Um, AMD has, uh, AMD, who is a different uh, video card uh, builder, has a tech called FSR, but it's basically not very good, at least not in comparison. Um, and the, the concern is that for PC players, they're going to get screwed if they have an NVIDIA card, which has DLSS, which is really good. Um, if Starfield doesn't have DLSS, at least not at launch, uh, and only has FSR, which isn't great anyways. Now, there's two interesting things about this. One is that uh, modders and, and hackers, quote unquote, can add DLSS like super fast and they will with Starfield, especially if it doesn't come with it. But you'll even see modders put in newer versions of DLSS into games uh, before they can even update it themselves. So it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing that happens. On the other hand, console players, um, you know, the consoles, the PS5 and the Xbox, which, you know, it's going to be exclusive to Starfield. Um, have AMD hardware in them and can use FSR. And if it's the only thing you have availability of, it's okay. And it can help with frames. Um, it's also not exclusive to AMD hardware though. Uh, their own tech can work on Nvidia hardware or, or even Intel as their new GPUs they've been putting out. So we still don't know if Starfield won't have DLSS. Um, there's been a lot of rumors lately that AMD will sign deals with developers to not allow DLSS, at least for a certain amount of time. Uh, but there's a lot of people who think that AMD has seen all this backlash and will probably pull back on that before Starfield comes out. And so that they can kind of hold their hands up and be like, hey, look, DLSS is on Starfield. We, we aren't saying no, even though they've probably done it in the past. It's a, it's a very interesting story. Okay, hitting some uh, probably pretty quick stories here. This may be a shorter podcast this week. Uh, I finally rolled credits on Diablo 4. I know last week I said that I was, you know, I was done. <laughs> I was ready to talk about it, and I did. I rolled credits on 4. Um, I didn't... The story's great. I actually really like the story. I like the characters. I like the voice acting. The cinematics are great. There is a cinematic at the end of this game between Lilith and another character that is like one of the coolest, just one of the best cinematics I've ever seen in my entire life. Worth the playthrough on its own, honestly, in my opinion. I found a lot of the ending bosses to be kind of whatever, though. I wasn't super impressed by them. Um, I, I, I kind of hated it, actually. Um, the, the boss I was stuck on, I forget what his name was now. Um, last week... I actually ended up enjoying the most because even Lilith, you know, there's a final fight with her and then a bunch of other people. I, I didn't like the fights. I, I thought that they, 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 they just, I don't know. I didn't have fun with them. They, they felt like kind of spammy. Um, I was playing at a low level, so 
you know, that could be a part of it too, that maybe I just wasn't, you know, I'm not very skilled at the game or something. I have no idea. But from a gameplay perspective, I found the end of the game to be very okay. From a story perspective, it was great. I don't expect to be going back to Diablo uh, much. Uh, if they release new content, uh, I'll check out the seasons. If they do DLC, I'll definitely play through that and get more story. But my, I, you know, I, I think I've played it for 65 or 70 hours. I'm probably good. I'm probably not going to be packing it a bunch more besides what I said before. So great game. I highly suggest it. Super fun. If this deal goes through, they throw Diablo 4 onto uh, Game Pass. You should definitely play it. You should probably buy it anyways and play it. Um, but I will say that I'm not going to be the type that's going to be putting in 500 hours, 1,000 hours. Not going to happen. Um, but I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, there is a Division Heartland closed beta going on right now. I'm in it. I have signed multiple NDAs in relation to this game, so I can't talk about it. <laughs> but uh, if you got a code, then I'm really excited for you. Uh, I'll see you in the in the Discord, and maybe we can talk about it there. Um, in, in the NDA approved uh, Ubisoft Discord, if you want to hit me up on there, I, I can say hi. Um, but you know, if you signed up for that beta, be on the lookout for a code. Um, it's PC only right now. I think they are eventually going to do console. I could be wrong. I don't know. Um, I got into another closed beta. Arc Raiders sent out a, uh, a beta codes and I got on and I've been playing that. And that's all I can say. Another extremely strict NDA. Uh, both games I'm really excited to talk about eventually. Uh, but, you know, we're going to have to wait a little bit. So uh, the final story here is Aliens Dark Descent came out. This is like a kind of like an isometric um aliens game that it's uh, you have you command these marines and they all have their little skills they they have permadeath so if one of your uh, guys gets killed they're done done you know you have to pick up a new crewmate and they're gonna be less experienced and have different skills and all this stuff it's a really interesting game i don't think i'm gonna hit it right now but i may eventually get it later um it got a metacritic score of 75 uh, there's the joke of swimming in sevens um, for the most part, if you can get into the mid-high 70s in Metacritic, you have a solid game. I've talked about it before that a game, even in the 60s, but especially the 70s, is a game that may not be everyone's favorite game, but is probably going to be a decent number of people's favorite game. And then you get into the 80s, and like probably everyone's going to like it, and a lot of people are going to love it. And then you get in the 90s, and you're probably getting to games where like, Almost everyone will really enjoy this. And so a game hitting 75 Metacritic score is probably really, really good. If you're into those kind of games, you know, check out Aliens Dark Descent. Um, if I ever check it out, I'll do another little quick uh, segment about it. But I think it looks really good and it seems like a lot of people agree. Okay, let's hit some listener questions. If you have your own questions, I have a Google form that you can find over on, uh, at the Echo Cast on Twitter, as well as in my Discord. There's links for that uh, down in the description. Uh, you can ask in the Discord if you have questions for next week. Uh, you can ask in the YouTube comments, uh, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Bond Diesel or at the Echo Cast. The first questions here come from Master Prime. Is it fair that Bethesda keeps their games exclusive and Activision stays multi-platform? That was one of the discussions. There was actually a, uh, a le uh, an email that was uh, shown in court uh, from one of the Bethesda folks um, saying, hey, you know, why are they saying that Call of Duty is going to stay multi-platform? 
but Starfield and what in our games are going exclusive on Xbox. And so you can tell there's that they're kind of miffed because I'm sure, you know, these, these people, especially Starfield, this game has been in development forever and they want as many people to play that as possible. I bet deep down, most of the Bethesda folks aren't super pumped about this being an exclusive game. I'm sure they get it. I'm sure they are proud in some capacity that Xbox is putting a lot of their faith in them to to put a game on xbox that will be a system seller and i think it will be but you can tell that there is probably just from a purely creative standpoint some animosity from bethesda being like well hey like you know why we why weren't we important enough to make a deal like that for even just starfield maybe it will only be call of duty from abk that stays multi-platform well bethesda could have the opinion of like well starfield is no, you know, is just as important as Call of Duty. Why couldn't we have kept it multi-platform? So uh, another revelation that was really interesting was that uh, supposedly Sony was trying to lock up exclusivity for Starfield for PlayStation. And that was part of what pushed Microsoft to just straight up buy AB or, uh, Bethesda's in the max, uh, which was pretty wild. So, um, yeah, so is it fair i don't know uh, I, I bet some people at bethesda don't like it but i think it's the way it's gonna go and and i and i think that everything else will go the same way i think that call of duty is going to be the exception maybe some other games will be too uh, the second question from master prime is uh, could the size of starfield be too much for some people for sure i think you see that with people with all of bethesda's games um i, I think on the other hand you see a lot more people who really appreciate that size and the freedom and the, the the biggest thing about Bethesda games is that you almost always get awarded for exploring. Um, whether you come upon some environmental storytelling where you you see a bicycle down at the bottom of a cliff with a skeleton and at the top of the cliff is a ramshackle ramp. And, and the story is you can tell it's and there's no notes. There's nothing. All you can tell is that someone made a ramp and went off the ramp and fell down the cliff and died. But it's stuff like that. That is just like kind of fun to find on top of that, the side missions and the little weird things that you can come upon and things like that. Uh, it's just, it's just cool. So, um, I, I think that the size will be too much for some people, but I think for most people, it's going to be awesome because I'm expecting a lot of that same stuff. Silent Rebel uh, popped in and said, if you could experience any game or story you've played from another character's perspective now as the protagonist, who would it be in what game slash franchise? I think it would be interesting to play Red Dead Redemption 2 um, as one of the other characters. Um, I I don't know who, though. Um, Arthur is one of my favorite characters in any game ever, but I think that getting to play as really any of the other characters, especially any of them that appeared in the original Red Dead. Again, if you don't know, Red Dead Redemption 2 is called 2, but it's actually a prequel to the first one. And so, you know, there are a lot of the characters from the first game in the prequel. 
Um, and I think it'd be interesting to, to be almost any of them, um, except Micah. Uh, if, if, if we had to play as Micah, I would just jump off a cliff um, because that's what he deserved. But I, I think that'd be a good one. Um, if I had to pick another one, maybe like the Mass Effect franchise as Liara to kind of see a different perspective on all that and the pressures that she had from her own people and things like that. I think that'd be an interesting one. Um, yeah, I'll go with those two answers. It's a good one. Thank you, Silent Rebel. YouTube's, uh, if you, uh, and uh, so YouTube has basically asked me to talk about Unreal Engine 5 and, and some of the things that sets it apart and why it might be a big deal. I am going to speak on it in the context of Mass Effect because we, we've been talking, we talk a lot about that here. And so um, I, I looked through and, and this is some stuff I knew already. I don't know everything about Unreal Engine 5. So, you know, if I say something wrong, you know, just correct me. Don't attack. So the big things that I believe um, seem like they're a big deal about Unreal Engine. Um, I, I have, I'll talk about the thing about engines though, is that they're just tools. Um, Unreal Engine seems like all of its iterations have been a big deal because um, they're very modular and it seems like um, they get upgraded a lot and it's because a lot of people use them. Um, and, and so its popularity is its, is its, its strength. Um, even other uh, development tools like Unity that are also really popular but aren't as good, basically, in a very uh, subjective statement, I guess. Um, it, it's because, you know, they don't have Epic behind them. <laughs> Um, Epic owns Unreal Engine, and Epic is this gigantic publisher uh, and, and and developer. Uh, you know, they're Fortnite, right? And and what Fortnite has basically become in recent years is an advertisement for any new media and an advertisement for Unreal Engine. And if you have seen Fortnite or played it since they upgraded it to Unreal Engine Five, it was one of the first games that did it. Obviously, it looks insane. And it's Fortnite, like it's not even supposed to look good and it looks fantastic. So some of the big things about our, it's animation tech seems like it's a big deal. It's both in the ways that the, the big thing about it from like an efficiency point of view, like when I talk about mass effect, like, well, maybe Unreal Engine 5 is magic and it can come out faster. Um, some of its tech is why. And so they've demonstrated this fairly recently. They had a big Unreal um, conference recently, um, Epic did, and they showed off this tech where you can use like your cell phone and record someone's face and the audio, you know, speaking and then import it into Unreal and attach it to a model and it will match up the facial animations to the real person and make it look very realistic and really, really good. And it will also like match up the syncing of the voice of the audio that you recorded it will automatically do the animation for the mouth and for the talking, which if you've ever seen any development diaries or anything about like RPGs and stuff, you know, there's a reason that like Pokemon and especially Zelda tears of the kingdom, uh, half of the dialogue is text and they, and the characters making weird noises. It's because animating and recording voice is really expensive and it's really time consuming and, and, you know, to get the audio and to match it up with lip sync, it's a nightmare. And Unreal Engine 5 seems like it's going to 
handle that really well. I believe they also have some tech that will make like rigging up characters and making their animations look fluid and natural uh, and making all of the stuff on them move naturally uh, a little bit easier. That's getting beyond my breath though. Another thing that seems like it's a big deal about uh, Unreal Engine 5 is the MetaHuman uh, project. And so MetaHuman is this thing where it, it, it's grown a lot, but initially it was this idea that they could use it to randomly generate people, characters, and they would look realistic and, and, and all of this animation tech still worked on them. And so like where in some games you may see that like the random NPCs, their animations aren't as good. They, they, they don't look very different. Like they all, maybe they're all the same. There's like three different women's faces that has like 10 different hairstyles. Uh, a game like the division two is like this. If you see the NPCs around and what MetaHuman can do is make an entire game where not a single NPC looks even close to another one because of the way it, it can generate faces and do it realistically. And it can also do the animations really well. So your random NPC that you'll only ever see once in the entire game can still have like triple A top tier levels of animation because it's just baked into the engine. Um, a really interesting thing on the, on the Mass Effect perspective is I've tried to get answers and I haven't heard anything, but more recently, I think they showcased something where I was curious, like for Mass Effect, could this metahuman thing work with non-human uh, characters? And they've shown some tech stuff lately where it looks like it can. I imagine you have to do a lot more tinkering with, uh, you know, the, the way it works and to put in a knowledge base so that, say, like in Mass Effect's uh, situation, like Turians, you're going to have to train metahumans somehow to, you know, what the limitations are on, on on how different a Turian can be from another one. But if you get that right, you could have a game that no single Turian looks the same. They all have just little, you know, or, or big differences uh, in, in whether it's their color or the size of their appendages, you know, wink, wink, or whatever. Um, it meant the human seems like it's a huge deal and it's very, very cool. Um, the procedural environmental creation seems like it's a big deal where you either can let it go completely on its own or you can put in a lot of parameters. And so a big issue with like procedural generation is that often it looks too similar or it has no sense at all. Um, and it seems like Unreal Engine 5 has found kind of a balance of being able to have some parameters so you can make sure it doesn't do stuff that's like way out of the world, but stuff that makes their job easier. Um, the lumen lighting system is a similar thing. It's a, it's a, it's a ray tracing, which you've probably heard. It's a ray tracing ish tech, uh, but it's supposed to be a lot more efficient and easier to use and set up in games, but it's, a, it's a similar technology. Um, and then just the size of their community. There's so many people, both indie devs and individuals who just like to mess around and big AAA studios who are using Unreal. And so when you have Unreal Engine 5 that's now out to the world for a couple of years, you just have an insane knowledge base. Uh, you know, even Epic themselves have supported so many studios already and will only support more that if you have an issue trying to implement something into Unreal Engine 5, Epic probably has an answer because someone else has probably already had that problem. It's a big deal. The thing about all of these advantages is that none of them, like the metahuman isn't going to make it super, super easy. You know, it's not going to be perfect on animations, right? 
But the thing is, is that uh, the difference is that, uh, in, especially in an RPG where you're going you're gonna to have tons of characters speaking, if you can have a tech that can get you 95% of the way there and your animators only have to clean up animations and they don't have to do them from scratch for every single line, for every single character, but they only have to clean up the last like five or 10% on all of that, it does increase your efficiency a ton. And it's the same with the procedural environmental stuff. It's the same with MetaHuman. It's the same with the Lumen lighting system. None of these things are going to be magic. You know, they do everything for you, but they will make it a lot easier and a lot faster. And I think that's why so many studios and publishers are going after Unreal Engine 5 now. I suspect eventually that EA will, will push their studios back to using, um, you know, uh, Frostbite and things like that. But until they can upgrade Frostbite to being a modern engine, because it has lag behind, they're letting them use Unreal Engine 5, even though it's going to cost them more money. And I think all of these pieces of tech are why. So it's a good topic. YouTubes, thank you. Good questions from everyone. Again, if you have your own, hit me up on Twitter, in the Discord, in the Google form, wherever. You can email me. You can find that on YouTube if you want. So thank you. And that's it for the show. That's why I have for this week's uh, episode of the Echo Cast. We're approaching episode 250. Thank you all so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Um, this show is nothing without you all listening. And uh, because it's a solo show, uh, you know, the conversation then goes to you after I'm done recording. Uh, let me know what you think. If you have your own opinions, if you have different thoughts, if you have questions, topics, whatever for next week, hit me up in discord, hit me up on Twitter, get in those YouTube comments. I want to hear from you. You can find me all over the internet as bond diesel, uh, on Twitter, uh, YouTube, Instagram, and over on Twitch. So please do that. Please join the discord, come and talk. That's all I have for this one. So until next time.